Yeah. I mastered the art of hitchhiking at a young age. I, I, uh, I don't mean to be egotistical about it, but <laughs> I, I broke the code when I realized it was all about eye contact. Ah. I could make eye contact with someone, they would pull over. Right. And, I mean, I started at age nine. Yeah. So that was hitchhiking <laughs> up the hill. I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, lots of hills. So we lived halfway up the hill and no sidewalk, windy road, cars going real fast. I didn't like walking up there, particularly in the summer when it was hot. Right. So I heard about hitchhiking and I'd seen soldiers hitchhiking. So I just put my thumb out in the first car that came by, gave me a ride. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And yeah. uh, I didn't do it, though. I was too young, I mean, to go hitchhiking. But by the time I was 12, uh, I was out hitchhiking to my friends' houses and getting downtown and so forth. And and then um, it just kind of became my release. I just right. would take off and go somewhere and I could go lots of places because I didn't need a car and I didn't need any money. And as a young teenager, 13, 14, you know, that being able to get around and be mobile, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's everything, right? Freedom. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of freedom. It was a beautiful thing. I'm grateful. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you are watching or listening. This is The Holistic Monitor, and I'm your host, Nick Sconia. The Holistic Monitor is a wellness podcast featuring life energy research, health and wellness transformation, self-improvement and empowerment, philosophy, spirituality, and now guest interviews as well. We look forward to your comments on our YouTube channel, at Holistic Monitor, and you can also listen on the go with us at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and more. And with that, let's get today's show started. And how is everybody doing today? This is Nick Sconia with the Holistic Monitor Podcast. On today's episode, we are honored to have a very special guest, Patrick O'Brien, who is also known by his alter ego, Cosmos Lovejoy. Patrick is the author of the captivating book, The Adventures of Cosmos Lovejoy, EXP a thrilling tale of adventure, enlightenment, love, and personal discovery. We delve into his fascinating story of achieving personal growth and success through his unique life path. In his book, Cosmos sets out on a journey to discover the hidden potential of humanity during the revolutionary spiritual renaissance of the 60s and 70s. We are excited to hear more about his journeys, and he has a special offer for listeners at the end of the show, so be sure to get to the end. So please welcome... Patrick O'Brien, here today on the Holistic Monitor. The Adventures of Cosmos Lovejoy, EXP. Uh, what does the EXP stand for? It stands for expanding. Expanding. Okay. Yes. So Cosmos Lovejoy, expanding. Yeah. And it does so seem, uh, what I've read in the book, it does seem like that is exactly what's happening, is you're, you're expanding out. Exactly, like the universe, cosmos being the universe, expanding and expanding with love and joy, and that's how the, yeah. uh, that's how the name came. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And that's in the book as well, yes. the, the name. Now, um, what I love about the book, right off the bat, is the clarity of the experiences, um, memoir style, the okay. writing. It really brought me back to that time and place, even the lingo that's used. It's, it's uh, you know where you're at in time. 
you know it really locates you in time and space um right away i was like wow i'm i'm there i'm riding along with you know right um, that to me was uh really powerful because it's just a great way to tell a, a story that is uh i'm assuming fully true is that yes it yeah. is only the names have been changed only the, the names innocent. have been changed to protect the guilty <laughs> <laughs> to protect the guilty <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh i appreciate your saying that thank you very much that's yeah. uh that's important uh, that was my intention and because it was so old you know, it all took place between 1969 and 74. Right. Uh, I, I wrote about 20 pages in 1976. And I wrote the story down because I thought you're going to forget this. And I, I haven't forgotten it, but it did give me the, the moments. It brought them back, having the, those uh, sheets to look at as I wrote and, and remembered, tried to use... Um, detail and the dialogue of course is a little more flexible because you can't remember exactly what people said but you but i um i tried to get the emotion that they were expressing and and keep it all true i say at the very beginning you know um i think jack kerouac said uh, uh write the truth there's nothing else to write and that was kind of my inspiration so i tried to keep it as detailed as i could to to bring that about so appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And you have the names, and of course you've changed them, but you you know the places and the people and all the things. Um, definitely, probably helpful to have had a log of it. You know, have had written it down. Um, right. And you did a lot of hitchhiking. I did. Yeah. I mastered the art of hitchhiking at a young age. I I, uh, I don't mean to be egotistical about it, but <laughs> I I broke the code when I realized it was all about eye contact ah. i could make eye contact with someone they would pull over right and, i mean i started at age nine yeah. so that was hitchhiking <laughs> up a hill i lived in the san francisco bay area lots of hills and we lived halfway up a hill and no sidewalk windy road cars going real fast i didn't like walking up there particularly in the summer when it was hot right. so i I'd heard about hitchhiking and i'd seen soldiers hitchhiking so I just put my thumb out in the first car that came by, gave me a ride, and I thought, wow, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And yeah. uh, I didn't do it, though. I was too young, I mean, to go hitchhiking. But by the time I was 12, uh, I was out hitchhiking to my friends' houses and getting downtown and so forth. And, and then um, it just kind of became my release. I just right. would take off and go somewhere and... I could go lots of places because I didn't need a car and I didn't need any money. And as a young teenager, 13, 14, you know, that being able to get around and be mobile, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's everything, right? Freedom. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of freedom. It was a beautiful thing. I'm grateful. Yeah, absolutely. I did a, I did a little bit of hitchhiking and um, I got stuck at a few exits. <laughs> Right. And it may be that I wasn't able to get eye contact. <laughs> Cars you know, being passed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or on ramps. One yeah. time I was hitchhiking. You know, I, I had a, the book is about a, a spiritual experience and I had a transformation in my life. And, and uh, one, and I was always very quiet when I got in a car. Um, yeah. And one time I started talking about some of my spiritual experiences to the guy that was driving the car. And he said, oh, 
you know, I forgot my briefcase, something <laughs> like that. He said, I'm going to have to take this next exit and um, I'll drop you off. And I see you when I come back, I'll pick you up. Well, I never saw him again. Right, right. And uh, I, I learned that there was, um, there was a little bit of um, a, a code, not a code. What do you call it? Um, manners. Yeah, yeah. Dinner, dinner right. table manners. <laughs> conversation, never rolled down a window. You know, I just right. spoke when spoken to and and it and I, I really enjoyed being along for the ride. And I learned a lot about people, you know, because they opened up when you don't say anything for the most part. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, a yeah. lot of times uh, you find it for longer trips. It's uh, they need company or they need somebody to keep them awake. Right. Um, yes. You know, I found that is uh, pretty common. It's going to be a long drive across the state through the night. Having somebody in the car, having, you know, people in the car after picking up multiple hitchhikers right. is a way to, like, stay awake through the night, you know. Yes. Well, multiple yeah. hitchhikers. Now I know that you are a professional hippie <laughs> hitchhiker. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely a great way to travel, you know, exactly. a great way to, to move. And um, and you do. You meet a lot of different people. I, I didn't have any bad experiences, so I think I lucked out on uh -huh. that um there were some iffy situations but nothing right. that uh was nothing ever was uh bad people you know saying here's five dollars for food or sure you know, here's some here is some food or whatever you know and getting getting you to the next place it's definitely yes. a uh a great way to meet people to see the country uh it definitely puts you in some area i was i got stuck in phoenix and uh, it was in the summer, so it was pretty hot. Not a good yeah. place to be in the summer. Uh -huh. um, and that was, was down in Tempe for a week, trying to get north to the cooler temps, you know, to the cooler sure. temperatures. And uh, definitely not uh, ideal, but again, very, very uh, free, very freeing, exactly. you know, because you can only have so much on you at a, at a time. Right. And, did you consider hitchhiking uh, as kind of like the beginning steps on your spiritual journey? Um, it definitely, particularly in, in retrospect, because it required that I let go of uh, outcomes, never really right. sure when I was going to get somewhere or if, and, and things happened. You couldn't, it wasn't, I couldn't count on always being where I said it was going to be. Right. Although I was pretty fortunate in, um, the way I learned how to hitchhike, where I stood, which side of the intersection, had to make sure there was, uh, you know, you wanted to be on the other side after the cars had gone through the intersection. Right. And right. That there was a place for them to pull over. And sometimes I'd have to walk to find a good place where they could pull over and so forth. But as far as the spiritual, yeah, it was constantly being in the unknown and meeting new people. And, um, and I just really, I loved it. I mean, I really wanted to move. When I'd get yeah. into a tight emotional situation with uh, my girlfriend, <laughs> I remember one time I was in San Francisco and we had a little disagreement or something and I, I just had to go. Well, two days later, I was in New Orleans. Yeah, and there you go. called yeah. her up and said, hey, I'm sorry or whatever. And she said she's sorry. And and uh, so I, I hitched back. But I mean, it was like another time... Um, I was in San Francisco. Uh, it starts off in San Francisco, and I was 
uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to San Francisco State University and uh, I studied painting at the Art Institute. And I lived in a hotel in North Beach and a lot of hippies and painters and artists and so forth. And um, after I'd had this spiritual experience, uh, one night I, I left my, my job and I just had to hitch. And I went over to Berkeley and caught a ride up to Truckee uh, mm -hmm. on the other side of Reno. And I'm not going to tell all the stories for you. There was a lot of things intertwined there. But yeah. I ended up hitchhiking and um, I met a woman who was driving to um, Michigan. And I just went for a ride. I went to Michigan, yeah. helped her load up her truck. I should, do you mind if I tell you the story? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, uh, you know, I had an experience with um, the Gnostic Christ, the, the uh, symbolic, the, the Christ energy, not, not so much a religious Jesus, right. although certainly that part. But um, in any case, I was working on my shift uh, at the spaghetti factory in North Beach, and um, this uh, this voice said, uh, "Follow me." And I thought, "Wow, you know, this is kind of how am I going to, you know, I've got to start my shift." And and uh, so I went ahead and went went with it. I went to the bartender, and I couldn't lie. I just said, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to work my shift. Could you please help?" Because uh, you know, I, I couldn't, and he got someone to replace me. So hmm. I left, and I didn't know where to go. I started going toward Marin County, and then I went back toward, uh, that wasn't going anywhere. I turned around and went over the Bay Bridge to Berkeley, caught a ride in Berkeley up to Sacramento. That's where I caught the ride to Truckee. And in the morning, about fourth, about 6.30 in the morning, summertime, I'm walking along the Truckee River, and... Um, I see a car go by. It was a brand new Ford four-wheel drive pickup truck, a big Ford pickup. And uh, there's a beautiful woman in it, and she's wearing this lavender scarf. And she goes zipping by, and I thought, wow, I'd love to catch a ride with someone like that. <laughs> and uh, 15 minutes later, that car pulls, truck pulls up behind me and picks mm -hmm. me up. And uh, we start talking, and it, uh, it turns out that her mother... Uh, had cancer. Her father had given her his truck to go back to Ann Arbor and pick up her ceramics and her kiln. And um, she had been praying for someone to help her. Hmm. And amazingly, that's how we came together. We met, we spent four or five days together. I went back to Ann Arbor and I uh, helped her load the truck with her kiln and all of her ceramics and we met some of her friends there and so forth came back and i said you know could you just drop me off exactly where you picked me up on the highway here i want to make it a perfect circle and i did and uh i saw her once again several years later um because we of course we knew each other but it was that those kind of serendipities that were happening quite often in my life and um and that was one that involved hitchhiking and and uh, there just being something greater going on because that's always been the story for me is there's something going on that's bigger than I'm aware of and I right. can sometimes catch up to it. But um, so that was an, an amazing trip. And there were numerous, really numerous, half a dozen I could remember that are probably in, that are in the book yeah. of those mm -hmm. kind of events. So. Right.
it was a, it was a spiritual time you know it was the beginning of the age of aquarius right. you know i looked in, a, in an astrology book uh, and i saw on february 3rd february 4th 1962 there were seven planets in the uh, sign rising through the sign of aquarius the sun, the moon, Venus, Mars, uh, Jupiter, and Saturn, the seven visible planets. Right. And I kind of thought, wow, you know, this is kind of a, a moment in this. I don't know that it's necessarily the beginning, because, right. of course, it, it probably started more with electricity and radio and the theosophists in the uh, early 20th century, the early 1900s. Who knows when? It's just a, a change that, that we've all experienced. So part yeah. of that serendipity and things happening of their own accord right aquarian consciousness oh yeah well and i found that um and that's a thing with and then why i asked if it was the start of your path because uh when you're kind of at the whims of chance at the whims of randomness um that seems to be when there's a magnification of um enlightenment or uh, a magnification of uh, spontaneous um, bounty. I don't know. A million yeah. different th things can come out of it, obviously. But um, when you're open to receive and your attachments are low, uh, the outcomes can be quite amazing. And, yes. um, and, and when you're heading somewhere, you're kind of on the path with somebody else so mm -hmm. you kind of almost take a different role where you're not the one in complete control of the of the vehicle or whatever right um you know for me i definitely i didn't have a car so it was a it was a good means to move around and yeah very, you know um but it put me in a lot of interesting places where I also received the same thing from people saying, wow, the timing is, is impeccable that you're here right now. And I'm like, oh, yes. I just got here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> How right. about that? Um, well, it just must yeah. be something to being one with the wind in a sense. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, serendipity, serendipity. Uh, comes to mind, you know, where um, you're just open and, and that was it for me. And the more open I could be, the more I wanted to be free. The wind was really it for me. You know, I just wanted to feel the wind. Going hitchhiking was like being outside. I loved yeah. being outside and um, and just being free. And I was free to change my plans. If I met some people or someone, I could go here or there. You know, I mean, you know from your experience. And right. um, it, it really just gave me a lot of freedom to to be aware of things I never would have been aware of otherwise. Yeah. An experience. Yeah. Um, and, and now there's information that you have that you um, were you spent time with uh, with Sufis, which I would definitely want to get to. Uh, that's right. in the book. Um, I'm not. I don't know too much about the Sufis, but uh, I know a little bit about it, but not too much. Um, but uh, there's a lot of journeys in between in that, in that, I guess it was four or five years of your time. Yeah. Um, a lot of the focus back then was on, um, obviously, hallucinogenics were a big portion of sure. the um, revolution, the revolution of the mind. 
finding mm-hmm. instant enlightenment, that sort of thing from the Beatles and all that. Um, and, uh, and music was really big too. Definitely. You know, the music was, uh, very different then and, um, you know, groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, were there any bands that you saw that, uh, that you, you know, reminisce on that was an experience that lent towards, uh, well, I saw the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco and, yeah. People were passing acid out in little white bags, like a little, very small candy bag, you know. And, <laughs> and they were dressed as revolutionary soldiers at that time, you know, uh, not soldier. Well, you know, the red coats and all that. Yeah. Thing. Remember Jerry Garcia like that. Right. And, American flag uh, hat or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And there was uh, uh, the, um, well, there was the Jefferson airplane that I saw the, uh, there's another one though that I was trying to think of um, that um, was that the Mercury um, uh, Quicksilver. Mm, yeah, Quicksilver you know, Quick- Messenger Service. Mercury, yeah, a Mercury uh, band, and they were in North, yeah. North Beach where I saw them around Lombard Street at a, a little cafe. I think it's called the Mercury Cafe. Oh, okay. Maybe that's it. Quicksilver band. Quicksilver and, Messenger uh, Service. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so and and I saw the darkening of the light, if you will. At um, gosh, I, <laughs> if I don't have it written down again, what's yeah. the name? Altamont Springs, Altamont, oh, okay. where there was unfortunately, you know, it was a, a death. There was, oh. was uh, it was you know it was not the bright. It was the kind of the end of the bright light of the hippie uh, summer of love, which was like '67 and went on. Yeah. And uh, then in in seventy one or two, it was there was some real darkness that came with yeah. it in Francisco in particular, um, and it was you know uh, not exactly what the book is about by any means, but you know that's what was happening, and that's why people were leaving the city and going to the communes and right. uh, like that. So, um, but the music scene was was really, you know, mainly just the music coming through the air. Um, yeah. It wasn't that I was at a lot of uh, concerts, although I was at the Fillmore and in Golden Gate Park and so forth. For the most part, uh, the music, to me, the Beatles were like the, you know, divine messengers with their their whole love thing. And yeah. it was really, I was really into the light and the love and... Um, right. That's what was up for me. And, you know, what happened and how I got to the Sufis, which is toward the end of the book. And what the book is about is that I had a dream. And um, in in this dream, there was a feast. And uh, there was a beautiful, it was a set up in gold and silver and satin and crystal and this desserts and just abundance. And across from me was a beautiful young woman. I was 23. She was uh, probably 18, 20, and she was 18. And uh, she's in the, the book, as uh, quite a bit about her. Her name is Valerie. And by the way, just a, a little bit about the names. I changed the names because, you know, some of the people are still around and I didn't, you know, I just thought, so I started changing names because I didn't want everyone to be thinking I was writing um, a biography or, right. uh, you know, a true Right. There's a lot of magic. Everything was yeah. true, but I wanted to have this magic about it. And so that's why I changed my name 
as the author. Yeah. I changed, my name is Brian Patrick. And so I, I changed it to Patrick O'Brien. And yeah. so there was all this kind of magic about it, this story and the dream and the girl. And then at the end of the table was this Gnostic Christ. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I was so surprised because when I woke up, uh, I thought, wow, who was that girl? Because that's what was so attractive to me as a young man. I wasn't particularly religious by any means. Although I had said a little prayer, if you will, if you'd call it a prayer, just God, if you exist, I want to know. I mean, it was like I'd kind of gotten to a place with the sex, drugs and rock and roll that it's fun and everything. Right. But is this really what it's about? Right. And so I had said that little prayer and then I had the dream sometime later. I never put the two together until later. And a friend of mine called me up and said, would you like to go down to Puerto Vallarta? Um, my parents have a house down there for spring break. He was still at the university. And um, I said, uh, sure. And so I went down there and I brought my paints with me. And, and it turns out that I found a little grass hut, a little palapa south of Vallarta in a little town called Nismaloya, about six miles south of Vallarta, up a stream where there was a beautiful spring, uh, probably 30 feet across and five or six feet deep, six or eight feet deep. And, um, and so I stayed there and painted. And one day, um, these two girls came walking up the stream and they were in cut off Levi's and little halter tops. And, you know, they looked American. And I said, hey, are you Americans? And they said, yes. And they came over to the Palapa and I offered them some pineapple. And one of the girls um, pulled a, a, a doobie out of her halter and said, do you want to share this? And so we had, had a little smoke. And and when I handed her the, the doobie, I handed it back to her. I realized she was the girl in the dream. Wow. Yeah. And this was the beginning <laughs> of the, my spiritual regeneration. And uh, I was just amazed. And we went up to the spring and there was the two girls and myself and this one girl. And I had a connection, obviously, from the dream. And I, and I told her about the dream. And um, it turns out that she had been uh, reborn in the light of Christ in uh, Laguna Beach. And mm. she'd been baptized in the ocean there. Uh, and she'd had this whole life with, uh, with LSD in Topanga Canyon and uh, the Buffalo Springfield and different bands. And, mm. you know, she had this whole rock and roll scene going on around her. And she left all that because um, she, she too was looking for something. And she introduced me, it turns out that she had these beautiful books. She'd been a student of Paramahansa Yogananda, who was an Eastern mystic. Many people have heard of this book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Yeah. And um, she had been studying with him in Encinitas, California, where he had a temple. And uh, so she was very much involved with him and uh, Babaji, who was uh, a, a guru, mm -hmm. who'd been her Yogananda's guru's guru. And Babaji is an ancient Christ figure right. from yeah. uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. So she had these books. The Urantia book was a book about our cosmology and, and our galaxy and how we're part of a bigger universe. And uh, it, it had the last 700 pages of it. It was probably 2,000 pages big, thick book. And she had these in her car. <laughs> and so, and she had Patanjali and the complete illustrated book of yoga mm -hmm. and uh, fasting by Arnold Eret. 
and um, many and the Aquarian gospel of Jesus the Christ of the Piscean age was this story, you know, our, our Bible, uh, the, what I call the, the Church of Rome, in mm. about 300 AD, they came up with kind of, they said, we're just going to have one story. And that's Mark and Luke and Paul. And these are called the Synoptic Bibles. And that's just this one story. Well, they leave out many other stories that were found in the scrolls in the desert, the Nag Hammadi scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so she had books about that. And she just had this ancient Gnostic Christ consciousness, which she imparted to me. And uh, we just had this amazing connection from the dream to meeting her at the spring to getting the spiritual knowledge, which was just dynamic and transformed my life. And, men, and many things happened that you find out in the book. And she and I separated because I, I got thrown in jail in Vallarta. I couldn't see her. And then they told me to get out of town. And uh, I went back to San Francisco. And then I came down and saw her. And we spent time together again. But the whole book goes on. And so I had this seed planted of this whole new reality. And it right. was the beginning of quantum consciousness for me. It yeah. developed in my life into more the physics of, uh, you know, that we live in this world of of uh, three dimensions, time, space, and depth, mm -hmm. which is the definition of a box, <laughs> time, space, and depth. Yeah, yeah. And we live in this box and, um, and that there was more beyond it. And the dream caused me to believe that um, there was more to life than what was existing in time and space. And then to have the spiritual knowledge uh, bestowed by this incredibly beautiful, powerful, wonderful, uh, woman, uh, soul teacher. And um, so there was, a, you know, we had a house in Vallarta. We had horses. We had a beautiful place to live. We had an ashram. And um, it, it was really something. And so then when I left there, um, I hit the road because I'm not good at standing or sitting still. <laughs> and uh, then I went back to New Mexico and eventually learned kundalini yoga, lived on an ashram there in teepees. Yeah. And so this all started, this whole spiritual journey uh, started from there. I went to Denver and opened an organic food restaurant and uh, had a yoga school there, a yoga ashram. And, um, and then eventually hitchhiked to Europe, uh, yeah. which was uh, an experience uh, and lived for two summers in Chamonix, France, in the French Alps. And uh, I learned uh, the Hazarat and Nayat Khan had written a series of books called The Sufi Message. Hmm. And his son, Pir Vilayat Khan, um, okay. who many of us have met, he, he passed away maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Hmm. Um, but he had, he had grown up in France. He was, he was born actually in Albuquerque, New hmm. Mexico. He's an American, but his mother was French. And his father was Iranian French. Uh, and so he went, he lived in Paris. And because of that, he knew the French Alps. And he had found this vacheray, this old, like an old cow barn made out of stone in the 1800s hmm. in a meadow. And the French National Forest allowed him to do meditation camps there in the summer. And so I had 
been working in a bookstore in Washington, D.C. when I heard about the Sufi camp and I thought, well, I'll see if I can hitchhike to France <laughs> and uh, hang with the Sufis. And in fact, I did. I, I hitchhiked up to Bangor, Maine and had an incredible serendipitous experience getting a ride uh, on Air Canada to uh, London, landed in London with 20 bucks yeah. and, uh, and went to Dover and got on a hydrofoil to Cali, hitchhiked up to Geneva, which is near Chamonix. And um, because I had experience in the restaurant business and I had uh, been teaching yoga, I was spiritually um, aware. Uh, they allowed me to work there and I ended up working there in the kitchen and um, for two summers and uh, learned from peer um, some of the Sufi message. And it's, it's very broad. The concept is that they are, they're Islamic mystics. Right. They're uh, from the Islamic um, faith. And, but they embrace Judaism and Buddhism and Zoroastrianism. Pierre was a Zoroastrianist, and he would do small mm. um, services in all these different religions at different times. And and there were um, some beautiful experiences I had there and had with him that that are related in the book. Yeah. yeah, and Sufism is one of the more accepting of outside. Like, yes, there are other paths or ways it's one of the right. more accepting uh, sects of that religion right yes and Pierre's uh religion of choice sister his um was zoroastrianism fire right and he he was always teaching about how we are starlight and that um that that's what makes up our corpus or our mm. body you know, is is we're made up of starlight and that right. light. He was very much in into light, um, but yes, they were very receptive to Christianity and uh, Judaism, as I said, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, yeah. and so forth. Then there was a lots of dancing and singing, and and I've been involved with Kundalini Yogi uh, Yoga with a man who is a former military officer, Yogi Bhajan, Yogi Bhajan, Yogi Bhajan who um, in the early 1970s started teaching Kundalini yoga. And I learned the Kundalini yoga uh, that he taught and it was very strict. Yeah. And um, uh, so by the time I transformed, that's the ashram I started in New Mexico where I worked, I didn't start that, but I was one of the first ones there. And then I went to Denver and started an ashram that was Kundalini yoga based on Yogi Bhajan's teachings. Uh, what he called the healthy, happy, holy organization. Mm. And they were really the teachings of Guru Nanak, who was mm. uh, the first Indian guru to promote one God. Mm. And um, But the yogi kind of went off on his own tangent and left uh, his teacher, Guru Maharaj, who was living in India, who was a disciple of uh, Nanak, left those teachings to develop his own whole culture, which I was really not much a, a part of uh, because I was there at the very beginning and left in 1972. So he started it in 69 and I I left him in, in 72 and it's become quite a large Sikh organization. Hmm. It's very political and um, right. 
But you know, God is everywhere in everyone. And that's what the Sufis were teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and now that's 50 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or Hard 51 believe, even. Yeah. <laughs> so here again, you have the, your recall, um, not even written down, is very good as far as the names and the places. You know, uh, I find that just really awesome to be able to, you, you have command over the names of the people that were doing the things that evolved even to this day to become a whole nother organization. Um, yes. Now, the, the book does end with uh, definitely a mark that there's going to be more tales, more journeys. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. You know. um, and, and the feast goes on. Because right. it's when I left the Sufis that I started to, I came back to uh, Colorado and um, I learned about the, uh, um, well, I learned about Buddhism and Tantric Yoga and the indigenous uh, tribes, the, mm. the Lakota. And, oh, you know, yeah. I'm truly a dilettante. I am by no means a scholar. And I just followed my heart where I was taken Right. Information to me was something I did digested. It, it wasn't, it was in the moment. And those experiences, it was a lot like hitchhiking without putting my thumb out. I was yeah. going from one uh, part of the feast to another and so forth. But, you know, it was so beautiful because um, the people of our generation, I'm sure the people of all generations, particularly between the ages of 20 and 30, in our 20s, there was just a lot of easy, comforting camaraderie. Right. And we loved one another. And, you know, I mean, as I mentioned, there were some dark moments in this uh, hippie scene in San Francisco or all over the world. But for the most part, we just, it was love and be loved. It was share and uh, live and let live. Yeah. And we knew we were on the edge of something totally different not unlike what we've gone through post-COVID. Uh, right, right. While the COVID experience has been uh, uh, whatever it is, it's, it's reset our lives. Um, and um, I, I don't want to get too fresh to get into, I think it was a very spiritual uh, experience that we all yeah. had. And certainly for some, it was worse than others. And right. some lost dear beloved family and friends and i i don't take that lightly right yet it did transform the way we live yeah and and the for example of not going to the office that's just an obvious example and and um and we did we're decentralizing our culture mm -hmm. and uh I, and i think there's just more and more of that and that's kind of what was happening in the late 60s it was a decentralization you know and we had our don't trust anybody over 30 right uh, <laughs> you know and and there's a whole astrology about that but yeah. uh, right <laughs> so so human consciousness evolves and we are evolving and what I learned was how amazing we are and how self-reliant spiritually and um, psychologically and financially um, right. that we really are. And now we are really each one of us. What came to me, you know, I'm, we're always growing, 
but is, is that we're each holograms. You know, we each mm. contain everything. And, and what I've been learning lately is uh, a lot about um, transcending the three dimensions, you know, and the, getting from the first three chakras, from the tribe to community to will to love and love being the fourth and love being light and moving into this fourth dimension and beyond. Who knows? There's probably, we're still three-dimensional thinking when we talk in terms of frequencies or we talk in right. terms of infinity because the fourth dimension of love is in the present moment. And, you know, we knew that or we learned about it at the beginning in the 60s, particularly in the 70s. And, and then we went in a little bit of a different direction in the 80s. And then we kind of came back to this now. And so, um, you know, I meditate now uh, realizing that I'm the creator of um, it's a mixed thing because I'm not the creator in that I'm separate from the divine and I'm, it's not really a co-creator, which is a term that's kind of from the three dimensions, right. but it's this idea that we are infinite beings and that hitchhiking gave me the freedom to experience things that I wouldn't have experienced had I been a little more conventional. Right. Right. Yeah. If you think of your life following yeah. suit with school and then after school and college and just a maintaining a, a rhythm without that, without that element of freedom, you know, the winds of change. Um, and then the dream, of course, a very telling thing. Um, <laughs> I always say, uh, you know, you did ask for knowledge. So yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. And, you know, I've had a few of them and, um, Nothing. That was the most dramatic. But I did have a dream about uh, Pierre Vallayat and um, and I was in a grotto with him and something about three questions. And the third one, he said the answer was, uh, I thought he said the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So I saw him later that day and I was, you know, thrilled that I'd actually communicated with him in a dream state. Yeah. And uh, so I said, oh, and you told me to read the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And he <laughs> said, no, 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 Parajapati. Mm. And I don't know who Parajapati is. I still, yeah. I know he's actually, I believe, the Lord of the Cooking Hearth. But I've never uh, read that. But without getting too much into the details, um, those kind of things happen to all of us. Right. And... Um, and I think this Aquarian concept of information passing through the air, uh, yeah. Aquarian sign being air rather than Pisces being the water sign in ships and so forth. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you know this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, and, and you mentioned that the start of the age of Aquarius and from my understanding, it's the, the heralding. Um, so the, there's the discovery of the planet that, rules Aquarius or some will say it doesn't but um, and you mentioned or it's mentioned uh, about upheaval of the 60s and upheaval is like a key word for the planet that rules Aquarius um, right Uranus, you know, or Uranus, Uranus yeah, upheaval and change upheaval. yeah uh, revolution revolution and, and a lot of that sparked from when it was uh, discovered 
but also you know it's the discovery discovery the uh, creation of this country uh they can say the whole country is almost founded on that principle but <clears throat> um but in astrology you have uh, an orb of influence so once you start getting close to the new age or the new way or the new sign there's an orb of influence like a gravity that starts to pull where the blending of the two worlds begins yeah and i'd say that like the founding of america or or thereabouts the discovery of the planet or somewhere thereabouts uh -huh. is the start of that gravity shift and the blending right. of the piscean energy which isn't necessarily going to be a comfortable shift uh to aquarius uh they're not um opposite elementally so they're not uh aggravated an aggravated uh cusp but it's a cusp nonetheless so as we approach as we get closer we're fully becoming in this age so you could definitely check the 60s as a big wake-up call uh, yes. maybe on the you know personal and social level for a a group of people it's not everybody but a large group of people that were open to it the mind shift the add of uh of the hallucinogenics and the ability to switch to shift perceptions but also the communes i think uh I, you know i look at movies that were put out in i believe it was late 70s or middle middle to early 70s was uh, logan's run and everybody's very communally living right and but in pods in their own little like dome like uh, -huh. uh cities or towns or whatever and when you look at the pandemic, what that kind of did to everybody, it was another, it was another uh, horn call of Aquarius yes. saying, uh, you know, cloister, gather in. The social won't be necessarily so much in person. And as you see, I mean, you look at everything in the world and, uh, you know, you could have, you could have called most of it by knowing how Aquarius is. You could say, oh, well, in the future, we're going to be connected more mentally yeah now, now we see it's probably got a, a technological twist to it but uh even your experiences with these dreams it's a perfect example of um the connection and, and on right. a psychic level through right. the air you know yes um and yeah i mean it's uh it uh, facebook was founded in a in aquarius so it makes the whole company an aquarian company uh -huh. um, and it's definitely a social network. It even coins the word of social network. It's just a very Aquarian, airy type of uh, idea. Mm -hmm. Gemini being the first air sign is also typified to when we're really young and we realize there's people outside of, uh, there's like uh, friends, there's other people, there's a third, it's the third right. sign. You know, we right. say the twins, but it's like there's another, but then there's also somebody that's not related there's a mm -hmm. third you know yes uh, a friend and then you have the, uh, libra which is the partner so you have another and it's a partner mm -hmm. and then aquarius you have society you have a social a community right it's a group think so we're mm -hmm. going into group think so we already know there's going to be a, a twist of some kind of psychic telekinetic um change or shift or ability that's uh available I, I think that through meditation, um, those that are able to start sharpening the mind, like it is a sword, will be able to wield it 
and utilize it in a lot uh, freer way than they could have in a watery uh, age, if that right. makes any sense. But, oh, yeah. you know, who knows? <laughs> well, you know, the other idea is energy and yeah. communicating energetically. Right. You know, part of, of uh, what I learned originally was about the chakras and the um, the sixth and seventh chakra. The, the chakras are aligned to the endocrine glands. And two of the endocrine glands that most people have heard of are the pineal gland or pineal gland and the pituitary gland. And, um, you know, we, we live in this three-dimensional world of time and space and matter because we have physical senses that right. direct us. We, we touch the glass and it, it's, we can feel it because we have things that sense matter in, in, our, in our physical uh, senses or we see something and we see the depth and, and because that's how our eyes are. It's not that, so where I'm going is that this world doesn't exist outside of us. We're right. becoming aware that it exists within us. And we know from science that 99% of what we call matter is really vacant space. The mass of an atom is like uh, less than a hundredth of right. the, uh, the, the makeup of a molecule. And so this energy, we're learning more about it. And when we activate the pineal gland, one, a, a teacher that I've been studying, Joe Dispenza, whose books um, I've been reading, mm -hmm. he, he talks a lot about activating the pineal gland. And through pineal gland activation, we, you know, we, it's an antenna. And when you put what he teaches is when you use the cranial sacral or the, the cerebral spinal fluid. And in Kundalini yoga, you take that out of the first chakra and push it up through what they call the shishuma up the spine and, um, you know, open the thousand petal lotus, we'll say. Yeah. And what he teaches is that when you use that fluid, that the, the pineal gland sits on a bed of crystals. And first of all, it's only the size of a grain of rice. Right. So this is not like an olive or something in your yeah. brain. It's very <laughs> tiny, and the crystals yeah. are even tinier. But this uh, cerebral spinal fluid comes up, puts pressure on those crystals, and creates what's called a piezoelectric effect. That's mm -hmm. when you take a mechanical pressure and you get an electronic, an electric energy. So the pineal gland becomes an antenna that allows us to access the fifth dimension. Mm -hmm. And then... It's like a TV, like, you know, how does the TV work? Most people say, well, you turn the remote on. <laughs> and yeah, you know, right. the way that a TV works is through this piezoelectric effect that takes energy, the antenna on our TV takes uh, energy, electrical energy, and turns it into visual. And right. that's what people are teaching about activating the pineal to have this like uh, in the Old Testament, it says, you know, when your people have no vision, vision, they're, they're lost. Well, it isn't necessarily the vision of seeing our feet. Right. It's the vision of this pineal gland activation. Or uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about Jacob and how he wrestled with God mm. in a place called Pineal. Mm. I and mean, that's a pretty direct <laughs> link. And yeah. while I'm sure many of the stories in 
in the Bible are true as stories. They actually happened. They're also metaphors and for different meanings and wrestling and pineal could very well be, it had to do with dreaming and right. so forth. So anyhow, I know, you know, all I know is what I know. And I don't know what I don't know. There's some phrase about that, you know, people yeah. like to say, oh, I know what I know, but you know, I, yeah, I don't know what I don't know. And of course you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'm just feel so grateful even to have this conversation yeah. because, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to even have a, just a glimpse of the possibility that there's something more. Right. And um, and I think that's what we're all experienced. I think that was part of, of our, quote, our generation and the generations that have followed us and and the beautiful generations that are that are coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have children in their 30s and um, I'm very grateful for the new generation. And and uh, I love the Internet because yeah. it's such an Aquarian concept. It of really is connected. <laughs> And there's so much that we can learn. And uh, even though if we're not aware, we can be hypnotized by marketing and think that we're three-dimensional creatures and we better look out and they're going to protect us. Or you have to have an authority figure tell you what's wrong with you and so forth and so on. And this freedom of the Aquarian concepts are that we are the all and the everything and it doesn't mean that we're egotistical. It just means that, you know, we're part of something bigger. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, you get a lot with, uh, when you do yoga and you do uh, kundalini exercises, that you get a, a lot of um, binding or opening up to uh, the reality that uh, there is a connection, uh, yeah. that we are bound within a space, but, uh, we're also able to liberate ourselves, uh, always able to make a choice and a decision. I think that's, uh, uh, typified in the letter T. This is a thing I have with the letter T is that, um, it's kind of like if, if the, the coils of the Kundalini were bound and then at the top, they get to be free, but you as a person still have a choice to go left or go right. Uh-huh. And that is the destiny uh, or fate, you know, how do, how do you push your uh, your life? Which way do you go? Um, and do you ever really have a choice or are you following always your fate, you know, where you're fated to go? Um, it's hard to say. But at the T, when you come to an intersection, you can choose left or right. Right. Um, that, again, goes to the winds of change and, and just having that dynamic of freedom to make a... Um, a liberated choice uh, or a choice that's going to be the best uh, option out of two and not being stuck to go one way because that's just what you have to do or, you know, the programming. Um, I call it following the record player around, you know, always right. go left, always go left, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Always have a choice. Yeah. But I think that liberating that energy um, is a good first step to gaining the freedom to make choices that are proper for ourself to become more self-realized realized and actual. And, uh, and we could find ourselves in random lands and faraway places, you know, at crystal caves and things like yeah. that. 
you know, exactly. doing doing kind of amazing things. And I think that when people read something like this, it's very historical, um, which I and again I love. It takes you right back there, and you know you totally get a vibe. You know, the responses over the phone. You know, I, and I I can't come up with any right off the bat. But uh, there are responses that you would hear, you know, in the 70s, in the early 70s. Calling somebody up on the phone and nobody's home. Yeah, all that. There you go. No answer <laughs> Nobody answers. They're using, <laughs> using a pay phone. Yeah. And, uh, Gosh, the pay phones. Yeah. Yeah, they're all gone. <laughs> well, being a hitchhiker, I used the pay phones. Uh, quite a bit. I knew where I was going to have somebody come and pick me up. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, yeah, that was in the early 2000s when the pay phones started really just vanishing. Uh, yeah. I remember it because it was like, wow, what do you do if you, you know, I was doing a lot of traveling at the time and, and I was uh, driving, but uh, pay phones are just one of those means. And I didn't have a cell phone for quite a while. Um, so pay phones were my way of calling people and keeping in touch. And they started mm -hmm. disappearing. <laughs> right. You know, uh, well, and I, what I like about going back in time like that is it feels like you know, you're in a place in a space where anything's possible. Um, I think that a good message would be that even today, people could still just do that. It, you know, they may feel like only back then could that have happened. Could that be possible? But it seems like you fell upon very good uh, spiritual guidance along the way. And mm -hmm. I feel like that could be possible for anybody at any point in time, any, any place, any time. You know. Yeah. And it's within, you know, we're human beings and right. it's kind of trite to say we're not human doings, but, right. <laughs> you know, it's so, yeah. you know, being present is, um, is the real blessing. And we don't, I think part of what we learned from the COVID experience was that we were doing a lot of things that were not necessary. And right. for whatever reason, you can get into the politics or the psychology, but without going there at all, it's just like the, the true presence of being will attract. So it's more of attracting. Like you think that's kind of an Aquarian concept. Traction, mm -hmm. not promotion is what, you know. So we've been promoting and promoting and promoting. And, and of course, breaking things into particles so that we could sell them. You know, whether it's um, a disease, for example, with pharmaceuticals, yeah. you know, we can heal ourselves. And the Bicean idea was we need an authority from outside to tell us how to do it. Yeah. But the, the Aquarian concept is that be still and know. And in that, but if you tell someone, so, so that's just fundamental to me is that concept yeah. of, being, be still and know, and um, everything is is pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's pretty amazing how our lives have have gotten better because we're not uh, commuting like we were. Right. I think one of the big things, and look, was uh, when March thirteenth of I guess it was twenty twenty one when they shut everything down. Twenty, yeah. Was it twenty? Yeah. 20, Excuse yeah. me. Um, right. And um, 
the uh, the air got so clean and it had never been so clean over Florida or I mean over Miami or right. Los Angeles because the planes weren't flying the trains weren't rolling the trucks weren't and yeah. the commuting wasn't going on and the air got clean in a matter of weeks we right. had pure air and the dolphins came back to areas where they'd never been before and mm-hmm. and I remember hearing about the deer in Japan who come into the city parks Right. And because it was, you know, nature was kind of taking yeah. over. Nature was like, uh, nature was like, we it's all clear. To back to where we were. Yeah. And it was like, oh, no, no, don't, you know. And so we had that moment, that point of reference. Yeah. Whether the machine, the media machine, whatever that, uh, con- I hate to use the word controls. It sounds like that, um well, directs or influences will say this whole media influence is always saying there's not enough. Look out. Yeah. It's only 20 cents. Get it now. Yeah. Sales <laughs> over tomorrow. Right. All this kind of thinking, which is just not really human. I mean, of course it is. And on and on, you know, there's always left and right in people's opinions, but it's just my opinion. We're human beings. And by being present, we can attract many things into our life that yeah. we think that we have to go and do things to acquire. So, yeah. Um, yeah and that, did this book come about through or during the uh, lockdown? Uh, yes and no. It was pretty much done um, before then in, in, in 19, 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, uh, I pretty much had it. But then, it didn't finish because of the COVID. And we had issues with uh, editing and promotion or, uh, you know, getting the final copy the way it's supposed to be. It, it wasn't really until this last fall mm. that I got it, got the final edition. Yeah. So uh, it was, um, no, it, it was written, be, it was written in 19, 18 and 19, um, it was being written from 2010 okay. on and off, but, yeah. uh, anyhow, so no, it's, uh, but, uh, um, it's just kind of come about in its own life recently in the last few months. Yeah. A lot of times with, um, uh, book publishers, it takes a little time to get through the processing of the different, you know, uh, approvals and all of that and setting things up so there can be a little right. bit. And of course you have a pandemic, you have a lockdown you have multiple months of no action, no nothing, you know, right. And a lot of I change, did. a lot of switching around things around and, you know, well, I published it myself. Okay. So it was self-published. So I didn't have those kind of issues. It was um, mainly everyone was just slightly distracted and not really, and yeah. so you had to kind of let go and allow and the right. time wasn't right for it. But the, the experience I had from COVID was the blessing of having a lot of quiet time. Time, yeah. Trying to meditate. Reflection. Reflection. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, for a lot of people, uh, there was a lot of potential outs coming out of it to be catapulted into a new realm. Um, if you look back in time, we've had, you know, as a country at the very least... Uh, this was a worldwide phenomenon, so that's very different, I would say, than than most things that we've experienced as a country. But even in this country, 9/11 had a 
a shutdown or a, a stillness that came about afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a lot of different uh, traumatic events have caused uh, stillness afterward, reflection. You know, where are we right. going? What are we doing? And things seem to catapult. And a lot of people, a lot of things seem to adjust to live maybe markedly different and potentially better, you know, or more aligned to their purpose instead of getting lost, like you were saying, just getting in these weird labyrinths, you know, lost, trying to find a way out, doing stuff that's like, what am I doing? And then, of course, the wake up call, you know, they have a chance to hop out of that or have an excuse to hop out of that. I was in a very similar situation myself. So, you know, I definitely got the vibe and I... I took the, the, the leap of faith and, you know, changed my situation. And uh, it's been a catapult. Uh-huh. I think a lot of people are having that experience. This book for you has probably been a bit of a catapult in a different direction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, inwardly, more and more inwardly, more and more um, being present in yeah. the moment. But if you look at something that's come on the on the radar... Uh, is the student loan uh, mm. phenomena, yeah. fiasco, whatever. Right. Just a huge moneymaker for a very small group. Yeah. And what's happening is by the schools being closed and this decentralization and the omnipresence of the internet. And now people can learn and learn skill sets. And, and actually we're going back to being together, right. you know, people are going back to work and so forth. But the idea that, you know, there's just so much money involved in education, which yeah. should really be more Socratic and more of a personal, as I think you right. said, you know, you learn from and about yourself, yeah. you know, and so we can go within and learn everything we need to know by being still for a few minutes every day. Right. And and we might not learn something that's being taught in books and so forth, but we learn what we need to know to be still, to be present and to be be productive in a purposeful way that and, you know, so this idea what healthcare, the same thing, you know, yeah. we are, you know, from what I learned and that I write about in the book is that we are divine. And we have, we we know what we need to do, and we don't need a third party or an authority figure or a, a quote professional to teach us how to do it. And I think more and more, um, and then when you see all these students uh, that you know borrowed hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, because yeah. it was so easy to get it, yeah. and then it's not easy to get out of it. And they're on the yeah. hook for more money than than they're going to make in in the first maybe five or ten years if they if they can get a job twenty years or a lifetime right. So yeah. it's like, how did it happen? You know, it's like cigarettes. They used to give packs of cigarettes away in the dormitories to the colleges. Hmm. There were people who were paid to give away free samples of cigarettes to people that wow. were young. Because they would start doing it and then they'd be a customer for life. Right. So right. this isn't, um, 
this is just something that's happening and we need to be aware of. Yeah. And by being aware of it, we can uh, transcend it. We can come up with ways to resolve it, um, to, to solve these kind of problems that we have. And I, I think that um, I'm very optimistic about the future and I'm optimistic about the future generations. Yeah. And I'm optimistic about what happened in the 60s and the whole green revolution with ecology and and learning about chemicals and how they were destroying our minds and bodies. Right. And we really didn't need to have a uh, government have label laws. I mean, that's like secondary to what about people being aware of our divine potential that yeah. we have and it's, it's, you know, we're in a very small minority that think or talk like this, but it's a yeah. vocal minority and it's a potent minority. And, right. you know, the classic Piscean things are like schools and medicine and legislatures. Yeah, institutions. You know? And religions. I don't know how we'll ever get to thin the legislatures out, but. Right. Well, and the decentralization is a big theme with uh, the age of Aquarius. And you see it exactly. within the monetary system, and um, and the crypto monetary, yeah, yeah, and and really, when you look at the world, uh, you know, you go back to, let's say, the smallest community that you can, but you keep all the elements that we have, the monetary exchange is still going to rule the day, and make one person really wealthy, likely, um, in any scenario that you put it in, because it's just the nature of of trade. So with the decentralization, you're taking the, the command or the power of that um, uh, force of exchange away from, but, uh, but trickery will have it that I'm sure well, we, it'll be a fight yeah. to get it out of hands of these uh, big conglomerates, but it's in the hands of, of large institutions and the potential for having a decentralized uh, cryptocurrency is saying... Um, there can be more transparency and more liberalness to money so that yeah. it's a little bit more free to have money versus uh, banks making money, basically, you know, yes, by well, debt. One of the aspects of the cryptocurrency is the block, obviously the blockchain. Yeah. And the blockchain has potentiality that's always been attracted to me through what's, what's called smart contracts yeah, or the right. Ethereum concept. And the Ethereum is a, is a uh, digital coin uh, and a company that, so you can have, I can have a contract with you to buy your house and we have an agreement and you give me the money and it gets, that agreement gets filed in a blockchain. It's one of the links in the chain, making it really super simple. But yeah. the idea is that you have transparency, it exists, it's all there, but you have privacy. Right. And then you can get a court to come and say, is there a reason that this should be revealed? You know, maybe one of us wants it revealed or, but a third party can't come in and say, Hey, you know, I want to know how much he gave him because uh, I want the tax dollars on that transaction. Right. That's a big deal. It, the, yeah. the taxes are not as easy to get. All right. But the point of it is, I don't like it. <laughs> you can have a mortgage. I could buy your house or I could buy your car or we could have an agreement and, and nobody knows about it except you and me. And if one of us feels that it's being breached, 
it exists and, and it can be seen. Right. But we have transparency and privacy. And, yeah. you know, we've had such an issue with privacy because of the Internet and our, and our phones and yeah. uh, people hacking and learning things about us from our hacking the credit and, um, you know, our personal history and personal e uh, affairs. Yeah. So, so the blockchain and smart contracts is a really a great thing. And I, I don't. <clears throat> and so I think each one of us, by going within... Uh, can have a better understanding of who we are. I can have a better understanding of who I am. I can't necessarily have a better understanding of who you are, although right. I might think I do. But in fact, we're all little holograms. We, you know, this whole universe, it's clear to me. Yes, you could say I'm crazy, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. I mean, this does not exist out here. Right. It all I'm projecting it out. And when I first learned that back in the days of Cosmos Lovejoy, I, you know, it was such a, like I thought, well, the Earth is still flat. You go to the beach, it's flat. <laughs> if you go out in space, it's round. Maybe it's at another higher frequency. It's like interpenetrating waves of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, and one day we might all see that. Right. So. So yeah, anyhow, it depends on the plane that you're on. Depends on right. the plane that you're at. And it right. depends depends on the degree of fear that you harbor. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, I don't want to know about that. And it might be bad. And or it could be worse. So the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And right. all these kind <laughs> of little scary this whole scary thing, or you you better start taking this pill now because you might get that disease later. Right, right. And I've been involved with herbs, and one mm -hmm. of the things that I've learned is that there's something called oxidative stress and right. oxidative stress is too many free radicals and they're caused actually by breathing, but oxidative stress contributes to all human disease. And it's actually almost the only disease, but medicine and, you know, I have to be careful because, you know, I had cancer and the, the most loving kind almost make you want to cry people that were in my life at that time were doctors and nurses and hospital employees. And they, I just never felt so much love in my life. So I don't have anything quote against medical professionals, but the medical model is based on corporate enterprise and corporate enterprise says, if we can get enough diseases that we have to have a different pill for each disease, then we're going to have a bigger market. And if we just had one disease, which I'll call oxidative stress, free radical damage to the DNA, uh, then there wouldn't be a big business in pharmaceuticals. Or right. if people start activating their endocrine glands and they get their pineal gland to uh, give off an elixir in the, that causes the pituitary gland to create oxytocin, which is the love chemical, right. you know, or benzodiazepine. Benzodiazepine is where we get Valium. Benzodiazepine is the model for Valium, and mm. it exists in our brain. Or DMT, which DMT, is an hallucinogenic, right. which is part of this have a this uh, visions. Right. You know, if we start, have, we have a pharmacy in our body. Yeah, and it's like when we learn to activate that, there's not a lot of money in it. There could be in the training and so forth, but really and truly. 
we've gotten away from this simple solution of love and um, stillness and gratitude. And, you know, you go out in the street and you go on the wrong side of town and everything. You know, you might not make it around the corner with those virtues. Right, right. But then you say, well, what is death? Because that's the big thing. Well, you're going to die, you know, so you better look out. There have been cultures that didn't think about death like we do. And, and if you take that fear of death away, then how are you going to control anybody? Yeah. You know, so That's I have right. to be careful because I, I really, uh, I'm not a scholar. I'm just another guy that had a dream and wrote a book about <laughs> some of the things that happened. And I've had fun sharing it with people and some people like it and some don't. And, hmm. you know. Have you had pushback on the book at all? Well, a little bit, but unfortunately, mostly from people that know me. And well, mm. I've had some that know me that are, you know, they're just not interested in it. Yeah, yeah I've had and I've had some, uh, you know, I'm just just starting to get pushback from Facebook. And mm. uh, well, that's going to happen. And I'm Online, it's going to happen. Huh? <laughs> online, it's going to happen. That's just a given. Yeah, you know, and it is happening trolls. online. Yeah. And um you know, I, uh, I, yeah, I've gotten, you know, I just feel good. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life and a lot of different um, income generators, we'll call it, whatever. Yeah. And um, this is, this is what I like the most. And um, there's a lot of people that I have fun conversations with that mm-hmm. about the book that, that, you know, like you're saying, it captures the moment it yeah. takes them for the ride. Um, you know, I I never thought I could write dialogue. Mm. Okay. And so I had a, my editor was, a, you know, a proficient editor, an excellent editor. Um, and he, he said, you know, well, dialogue this, he'd go through it. You know, he never did any writing, but he'd make comments. And often it would be dialogue this. And mm. I thought, I cannot write dialogue. <laughs> And then I wrote some dialogue once and I thought, wow, I get to know what the other person's going to say before I say what the first person's going to (laughs) say. So I got into writing dialogue and I just loved it. And now I've become a student of Aaron Sorkin, who wrote A Few Good Men and um, The West Wing and Molly's Molly's Club, Molly's Parlor about gamblers. And uh, there's things that I can't remember right now. But his whole thing is he says, he says dialogue to him is music. Hmm. He was he was brought up on Broadway. His parents were involved in the theater. And so he wrote A Few Good Men when he was maybe 27 or eight. And but when he was eight years old, he used to go to the theater and he'd be behind stage and and he'd go to musicals and this and that. And so when he writes dialogue, he said, you know, it's like writing music, uh, which I know nothing about, but. It's like music, we'll say, and um, and now I I just love to write dialogue, and uh, this is my first book, so hopefully, I'll, uh, like you say, there'll be another one. The story does go on. I've written half of the second book, you know, because it, this is the very first, and then there's the second, and then and then there's the third book where I go on and learn about new religions, the Hawaiian religion, the Huna. Mm. And I lived in Hawaii for a few years after I was diagnosed with cancer. I went to the beach and 
started eating herbs and got well and was blessed to to go into remission and uh, learned a lot about Huna uh, and the Huna Hawaiian religion and learning more about Egypt and um, and all the religions have have a, a they're, they're, they're not the same but they have the it's about love it's about surrender and um, and you know we have free will we have the will to turn our lives over to God. <laughs> That's what free will is for a lot of them. But sometimes when I talk about religion, it's like that day in the car when I was hitchhiking. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, people don't want to hear about it, man. They, right. There's a lot of different fine. people been, you know, they've had different experiences with it. With yeah. The, you know, politics and religion. <laughs> right. Some people, you I know. think they nailed it when they said, you know, the truth that can be spoken is not the truth. Hmm. Oh. And the other is the Tower of Babel. And the, well, right. I wonder about that. Then what's that all about? And I don't know. But I do know we have a phrase about babbling. And, yeah. you know, where there's a lot of babble going on the planet. And, you know, this Aquarian concept of how would it be if we could understand people without speaking? And right. I think that we do. And as someone else said, you know, we're... We developed a, a cell phone that sends messages because that's what we do, except we don't use an instrument. Right. We just use our mind. And we're sending messages to one another all the time. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. We, we respond with words or words get involved. Right. But I don't think words are, are the, they're, they're part of the three-dimensional reality. Yeah, it's, uh, well, uh, like a sense, you know. Um, in the third dimension, we have uh, this whole construct of our body is a means to understand the world around us through touch, sight, sound, smell, taste. And you could say that talking is our, a way of engaging that reality. Um, hearing. I mean, talking yeah. is connected to hearing. It's part of uh, it's basically like we're singing a song when we're talking. We're tone. We're doing tones and, you know, uh and of course, that also has a command, like command prompts for the brain. So, you know, uh, we can consciously start to guide our subconscious. I think you get a lot of this with meditation to, you know, start seeing the the thoughts go by and the words in your in, in your head, and uh, start to gain control over what's being said in your head and gain control of those random images and thoughts that go by as you're meditating. Yes. Uh, the, you know, the Kundalini exercise is a very good way to uh, to start learning that, like, there's a lot more to the world than what the senses that we've developed to engage this part of the world. Uh, the three dimensional frequencies, yeah, between right. matter and light. And the heart yeah. is how we hear. I mean, it. it has the word ear in it, right. H-E-A-R-T. Yeah. And... You know, the mind, you know, is this, we live in an ocean of, of energy, an ocean of divine love or an ocean of love. Yeah. And uh, because love is what nurtures and bonds everyone together, whether it's a mother and a child or a puppy or somebody and you want to help them or love is real. Right. And um, when we, and, and love is the heart and it's that fourth chakra in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So when we can be present with another person then we're really listening from the heart. And, right. 
you know, um, but yeah, it beats, we're communicating. And it, beats, it makes a rhythm. It keeps a rhythm, and it, it you know, right near the lungs, it has this you know uh, drum effect. Um, all things that you feel and hear, a vibration, right? Uh, that's created from the heart. You know, it's definitely a, a strong connection. Uh, the love connection could be said, said to be the strongest connection, uh, and its opposite would be obviously hate or anger. You know. Um, but, uh, all ways of it for us to connect, you know, with the world around us, with the people or things around us in, in a very intimate way through the chakra energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now in, in this book, it's a lot of formation and journeys that you're doing, uh, finding out about a lot of this stuff, you know, involving the Sufis and Kundalini yoga, Yogananda, I think, right? Right. Um, and the, the Nag Hammadi scrolls and the Dead Sea scrolls. Right. That's These are these vases that were sealed and placed in caves 2,000 years yeah. ago. The Essenic. The Essenic. Now, you mentioned somewhere the Essenes. Well, and I have yeah. to wonder, because um, it's funny that you mentioned Zoroastrianism and the Essenes. And I wonder if it had anything uh, in linkage with uh, Edmund Brodogzakli and the uh, right. Biogenic Society? Well, of course, Edmund bordeaux Akeley wrote um, the Essene Gospel of Peace. Right. And uh, it was about um, how the Essenes lived, and they did a lot of fasting, and they used gourds for enemas, and they right. cooked their food in the sun, and, um, and they, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, but the, the Essenes... You had mentioned um, something else. Uh, it escapes me right now. But, Zoroastrianism, uh, was it? Well, you were talking about Zoroastrianism and the Essenes, and there was something before that. But um, in any case, um, I've, I've forgotten it. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I reserve the right to forget. Yeah, but, yeah, there you go. But, you know. Um, um, well, it's a, really, it's a really interesting link there. Um, and because... Uh, Zakely goes into Zoroastrianism pretty heavily too in that world of opposites opposition yes. uh, black and white you know the uh, the chessboard and all this um, I was going to do a uh, show one of the first shows that I was going to do for this podcast was going to be on Zoroastrianism and the oh. Biogenic Society because um, I got turned on to it in the 90s in the mid 90s uh, I got a bunch of the pamphlets and uh -huh. devoured it just great information um you know digging in I, I find that a lot of uh uh whims and ideas that maybe i i found on my journeys um i further researched them later with the light of the computer and you know the world uh -huh. wide web uh -huh. and maybe find things aren't exactly as i had assumed they were you know but it doesn't change the um the truth of what I gained off of the knowledge, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, <clears throat> makes the, perfect sense. Because you know, the opening that I had, whether or not the information was uh, solid or a hundred percent or anything right. uh, is what really matters in the moment and not so much getting caught in the minutia, the details of well, you know, actuality. It's really what right. what does the spark as long as the spark is flowing and the outcome is positive, I think that's the most important thing, you know. 
Well, there are two things. One is that um, this is a fire planet, and that goes back to Lemurian and the Hawaiian religion. Hmm. But the thing that I uh, was mentioning before you talked mentioned about the scenes was the Nagamati and the Dead Sea Scrolls, right. which were in which were written uh, the life of Christ and the true teachings of Jesus the Christ of the Piscean Age, not the right. uh, the archetype that the Roman Church presented Created. in order to control people and generate money. Right. Um, and it's not, it's not to be very careful because there's a lot of truth in it, but then there's a yeah. different level of truth in the in Nag Hammadi scrolls and the, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel right. of Judas, these other people, that it was totally different than Mark and Luke and Paul yeah. in the Synoptic Bibles. So uh, that's what uh, Valerie shared with me, which allowed me to speak about Jesus and Christ, not even thinking of the religious Jesus, right. but of the Gnostics and the Essenes. Right. And then uh, and so that's the Jesus that was at the end of the banquet table and he was young and he was laughing and it was beautiful. Right. And, uh, and all I can remember was the girl, but the other, the other thing was, uh, uh, the fire planet in the Lemurian scrolls, which hmm. are the teachings of the Huna, the Hawaiian oh, okay. religion, uh, or spiritual w wisdom. Uh, is here's the, their creation story. There was a, there was a planet somewhere in this massive galaxy that's described in the Arantia book. They didn't, they weren't connected to it. But in any case, and it, it was get, this planet was getting old, and these people needed to move, hmm. and so they found a fire planet, and they actually came through the sun to this fire planet, hmm. which is Earth. And uh, if you, you'll notice that we're 98.6 degrees, we're right. fired up. Okay, we're warm. <laughs> and yeah. this planet has got fire on the inside. It is right. a fire planet. And so they came through the sun and then over millions of years, really mm. long time, um, whether they seeded it or not, uh, uh, it became seeded with herbs and flowers and fruits, and then they would come here, and then slowly hmm. they started to um, inhabit this planet. And there's a book called The Lemurian Scrolls, which yeah. is a beautiful book about this history and how they developed uh, the continent and, and the culture of Lemuria, hmm. which uh, the Hawaiian Islands are the mountaintops yeah. of of the continent that was washed to the sea or buried by whether it was the moon Rising. Hit or whatever happened. Rising but, oceans. So it's a yeah. fire planet. And I just think that is so cool. We, you know, yeah, like these are just little things, the stories in the book and what I learned are just like, wow, really? Right. That's right. Right. You know, this is just, it's a, it's a tale. It's a story. And it's based on truth and yeah. it's not particularly deep. But what I found is that it's deeper than I thought when I wrote it. Right. In other words, now going back and reading and I think, wow, that's really connected to this. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think when I was putting the 
cake together. I thought it was there was sugar and there was flour and there was eggs and there was <laughs> milk and you know and and then now when I read it, I think oh there's there's a real there's a story here. There's a connection, right? Yeah, this connected. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now uh, you said you're about halfway through the second book. Well, yeah. Now I'm going to have to write it and let it out of the bag, but yeah, that's a good get to it. From this living with the Sufis and having had a lot of things that we didn't talk about uh, happen in his life, and yeah. he comes back to Aspen, Colorado, which yeah. uh, was a whole uh, and he uh, things things changed over. Uh, that period of time, but still, the feast w w is the story. There was right. there were teachings, spiritual teachings. I'm not going to get into this too far, yeah. but um, about the particularly about the Native American and um, and many many other things having to do with healing um, and so forth. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that goes on and. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go too far into it, but right. actually, the way the book was written was um, <clears throat> 2010 after I got diagnosed with, uh, or just before I got diagnosed with colorectal cancer. I, uh, my father had died, and I realized I was mortal and mm. that I was going to die. And if I wanted this story that I'd written down 50 years before, I needed to write it. So yeah. I just started writing like a madman and over six or eight months, I read about 500 pages and this book, the adventures of cosmos love joy. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it came from the first 300 pages. Wow. So left a few hundred pages. Okay. What else happened because I continued to meet spiritual mentors. I continued to have serendipitous experiences, uh, had wonderful, um, experiences my children were born um, I had a lot of um, more material business experiences right but cosmos um, you know the uh, cosmos the dreamer was right there yeah and, that wild That's yeah just great. like you I mean look at your life now and what you're doing and like you said you got rocketed into a new world after the the yeah. COVID and, and you have a, a beautiful young son yep. that I heard laughing and singing <laughs> one time when we spoke. And, oh yeah, oh yeah, he's a very a very joyous kid, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and it, you know, prior to my move and my catapult uh, was not even a thought. You know, right? Uh, the place that I was at uh, was really just in a waiting space. So uh, the pandemic coming along was. Uh, it's been a it's been a rough adjustment on certain levels because I had set up my I had established myself where I lived, but um, I was I knew I was waiting. I was just waiting for the right moment, <laughs> right? Know? And uh, and you know it came along, and I was in a position with the with the pandemic the way it was, but I could just uh, make the make the leap, and uh, right. you know it might not without the without that still time. It may not have been my, my thoughts. May have been not to take the chance of that change serious. So, um, you know, it blessings in disguise. You know, sometimes right. good things come out of bad times, and and vice versa. You know, right. uh, so it's just about. I think you know, like like hitchhiking. Um, you gotta 
you got to put it out there and you've got to be ready to take that first step and then once you do you know where you're going depending depending on your situation and where you're actually heading but you never know where you're going to end up um you know and life is just like that it's uh and i think it really your book does a really good justice to show like how how much can change within just a few years of your life at any point in time um exactly. because even now for yourself uh this book is new and uh you're going to be traveling is that right yeah yeah um i'm really excited i've had some other um issues um business decisions and financial things that I'm clearing away. That's this is all I want to do now. And yeah. I've been blessed to have uh, the opportunity to speak to people like you and, and, and be on a, a podcast and, and uh, you know, it's just in, in, enriching my life and, um, and people do like the book and that's, that's, um, a joy because yeah. it's fun to be a part of something that makes people feel good. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's a real feel good or it's not a feel good book. I don't know what you call it. I have no idea. I was, I've wanted to write a book and I knew I was going to write this and it took 50 years, yeah. 50. And I mean, I hardly even think I'm 50 years old, but I'm definitely 50. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and, and I was recently in San Francisco where a lot of this takes place. Actually, last week hmm. I was in San Francisco and um, seeing some of my buddies from the Spaghetti Factory Cafe where we all worked and laughing. And um, and I thought, wow, you know, this is for real. It's yeah, it's still going on. So, yeah. How about yeah. that? Yeah. 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 Well, um, I'm really looking forward to uh, the further adventures. Uh, yeah, uh, thank Cosmos. you. And maybe some of the road tales coming up will be uh, part of uh, another podcast. It is. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for yeah. offering to be another podcast. I'd love to be back on your show. And I'm very grateful that you invited me and that we're able to talk as freely. I was thinking, what are we going to? Call this podcast Two Guys Talking. You know, <laughs> we kind of covered a wide range of things. I uh, yeah. see where what you do with it, but I'm honored yeah. to be on your show. And, and well, uh, very happy to free. have you, you know, well, and you. a great perspective. What a great adventure it really is. And, and I love how it just intertwines just so many uh, branches of spirituality, of approach dreams the dreaming portion which just you, it's you don't see that a lot you really don't you don't hear about people having dreams that are you know uh evolving and coming true and uh, it's just amazing you know we either don't remember the dream or we just don't talk about it or well, we don't talk about it which is weird that you wouldn't you know that kind of connection um i believe the uh i don't know if it was the pyramid but one of the one of the big effigies, it might have been the Sphinx, was found after somebody had a dream about it or something like that. It was buried in the sand. You uh huh. Know, you know, it's well, just uh, I, follow those dreams. <laughs> follow those dreams. That's it for uh, sure. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you having you on today and you being here and uh, getting a chance to have this discussion. It was really a, it's a great adventure. And I'm uh, here's the book. And I'll try and uh, 
Oh, there you go. There we go. We scan There's this and put this on the, the uh, on the show there a little bit, and uh, I'll link the uh, the website for the book. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, said it's where can uh, they get it? Bluehornpublishing.com. That's blue, B-L-U-E-C-O-R-N-P-U-B-L-I-S. Publications. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, publishing. We made an audio book so you can read it. You can oh. get, get the audio book. And okay. we have a Kindle. And are you uh, speaking? Yes, I read okay. it. That's I went do down it. to Muscle Shoals, Alabama and recorded it at the uh, wow. East Avalon Studios where... It was a B studio for all those rockers in the seventies. Wow, well, that was a fun. <laughs> that was great, and they did a they did an excellent job of uh, producing it. So it's professional, awesome. and you can get the book on Amazon. Uh, yeah. it, you can get the Kindle, and you get the uh, the audio book or the print book on Amazon, or you can find out a lot more. There's a lot more of the backstory at BluePornPublishing.com. And I'll have and, that linked, uh, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, if you use uh, SAF, you mm. get a 20% discount. Ooh. From, uh, I like that. All right. Yes. Yeah, so just use the code SAF and okay. uh, you'll get 20% off anything at uh, Blue Corn Publishing. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you, Patrick. And uh, let's have another discussion soon. Okay, Nick, thank you very much. Awesome. Yep, take care. Have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yep.